All right, good morning. Hey, everyone. If you're hanging out in the lobby, we are going to get the service started here this morning. My name is Grant. My name is Leslie, and this is Adia. She's, She's hopefully going to be good for four minutes. Yeah, that's all we need, four minutes. Her first time on stage spotlight. So, great, yeah, we're here to get the service started for you. Uh, if you're hanging out there, come on inside. If you can hear us, I'll be even louder, or we'll get a drum roll going. But service is starting. If this is your first time here, a special welcome to you. Um, we'd love to get to know you better, and you can help us do that by giving us a shout at hello at cedarvalley.ca, commenting online if that's where you're joining us, um, or if you're here on campus finding somebody in the lobby with a lanyard, we would love to meet you. Mm -hmm. And one of the best ways to just stay informed about different things happening throughout the week, we're on Instagram, we're on Facebook, make sure you're following us. Uh, we're on YouTube, we've got a kids program too, or a kids ministry videos and content on our YouTube channel. Uh, and also make sure you're following our email newsletter. We send that out on Fridays. You can sign up for that email newsletter uh, on our website, cedarvalley.ca. If you're having any technical issues with that, chat with me. I'd love to make sure that our communication is getting through. And while you're there on cedarvalley.ca, you will also find ways to give financially um, to the world and to the ministry of Cedar Valley Church. We've been so blessed by your generosity um, and our, your on-campus community to continue reaching, teaching, and bringing the gospel into the city of Mission. We're so grateful. Okay, so fun announcement. We have had some uh, dialogue about getting this going. Over the last two years, there's been issues that have kind of interrupted our ability to go to family camp at Camp Squia. Ooh. Oh, that was not the reaction that I was, was hoping for. I'm going to try to get it. Okay, so we are going back to Camp Squia. <laughs> Yay! There we go. Okay. There we go. There we go. If you don't know about Camp Squia... Val is excited. Yes. Good. <laughs> if you don't know about Camp Squia and you're like, okay, what is that? There's this wonderful camp out in the mountains, out in Hope, about 45 minutes to an hour with slower traffic away from here but it's a partnership ministry camp connected to our church connected to our greater conference and uh, it's just an amazing way to get together as families to spend a weekend relaxing out in nature connecting with each other Addie has never been and she's nervous she's already getting upset uh, but so the dates for that it's open now. There's no restrictions. We're able to go up as a church family together It's gonna be fantastic really good food uh, and at this point. It's just a save the date announcement That is May 13th to 15th and we're gonna be posting a lot of information about just how to register sign up the costs Involved in that you can speak with me or somebody wearing a lanyard out in the lobby uh, If you're interested in that, but yeah, we're really excited and at this point We're just trying to get the word out there as soon as we can Perfect. I'm excited. It'll be good. Um, we're going to get the service started here shortly. We're going to be led in a time of worship. There will be lyrics on the screen for you. Um, and we invite you to join however you feel comfortable. And after that, we have a video for the kids. If you're joining us online, we'll have a video for that. And you can kind of follow up with more lessons for that at home uh, on our YouTube channel. There will be links in the stream. Otherwise, for kids, if you are here hanging out, we've got a program for you, designed for you, worship, prayer, activities, games, super fun. So what you'll just have to do is make sure you're signed in. Make sure you have a name tag. Parents, if that's new to you, find someone wearing a lanyard. We'll get you signed in. And partway through the service, we'll send you off to the back corner, and you're going to be in for a treat. And after that, we have a message from Pastor Grant right here. Um, it's our next message in the series, Jesus Plus Nothing, um, going through the book of Galatians. So I'm excited about that. Yeah, absolutely. So let's get the service started. Would you pray for us? Absolutely. God, thanks so much for um, gathering us here together, for the ability to do this, um, for a country in which we can gather and worship you and learn about you, and I ask that you would um, teach us all something that, that we need to know that's individualized for us, that you would speak through Pastor Grant, and that you would challenge us, and challenge us in really incredible ways. Um, God, we also pray for Ukraine. There's so much turmoil and so much hurt and fear, and we just ask that your peace would be upon people, and that it would be... Um, just like a blanket that, that goes over them and is overwhelming them with goodness and love. Um, thank you again for being able to gather and just for, um, for who you are, God, for how you love us and how you care for us. And in your name we pray, amen. Amen. All right, so I invite you to stand and join us as we worship together.
Every breath we could ever breathe, we live. 
Yeah, take a seat. Thank you for joining us together in worship um, online, in person here. It's great that even we have these recordings that we can use to give our worship ministry the breaks when they need them as well. So it's, it's awesome singing together out loud. It's okay to do it too with the screen. It's okay to do it with a recording. Uh, in the same kind of way, we are going to be playing a video that's part, it's like a teaser of the kids lesson, the greater lesson that's going to be happening. So right now, kids, you can head on to the back corner over there. Make sure you are signed in. If you don't have a name tag, parents, make sure you get them checked in. But you can head on back there. The video that's going to be playing here, you guys are going to get that same treat, just the bigger version of it downstairs. It's going to be super fun. And for everyone else here, uh, enjoy it. The Bible, it's 66 books of history, stories, letters, and poetry that fit together to form God's one big story. 
the epic adventure of how he created us and loves us so much that he made a way to rescue us. As we travel through the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, we discover people who met God and found their lives changed forever. Now, for an amazing story, inspired by the book of Acts, chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. Before Jesus returned to heaven, he told his friends to wait for special power from God's Holy Spirit. Yes, we'll do, got it. Um, what? None of Jesus' friends were sure what to expect, but sure enough, as they were gathered together in Jerusalem, God sent his spirit as tongues of flame. Immediately, the believers were able to communicate in different languages. Peter even preached an amazing sermon to the crowds who had gathered in the city for the Feast of Pentecost. All of you must turn away from your sins and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then your sins will be forgiven. That day, 3,000 people believed in Jesus. Through the power of God, the brand new church was off to an incredible start. Years later, a man named Luke described the early church like this. The believers studied what the apostles taught. They shared their lives together. They ate and prayed together. Everyone was amazed at what God was doing. They were amazed when the apostles performed many wonders and signs. Okay, that's a lot already. But Luke was so excited about the early church that he couldn't stop there. They shared everything they had. They sold property and other things they owned. They gave to anyone who needed something. Every day, they met together in the temple courtyard. They ate meals together in their homes. Their hearts were glad and sincere. They praised God. They were respected by all the people. Every day, the Lord added to their group those who were being saved. You notice a pattern? In everything they did, the early believers worked together. Let's take a closer look. The believers studied what the apostles taught. They learned about God together. Those who had been with Jesus, his closest friends, shared the things he had taught them with the new believers. They would have reminded each other of one of the most important things Jesus ever said. Here is my command. Love one another, just as I have loved you. Those very first Christians discovered something important. Love isn't just a feeling, it's something you do. Those believers prayed together often. Please God, give us the power of your spirit. Show us how to love others like you do. They knew that just a short time before, God's power had raised Jesus from the dead. And they knew they couldn't continue God's work without that power. The believers also ate together. Hey, just caught a bunch of extra fish, help yourselves. I made bread lentils, old family recipe. Me and my little granddaughter baked all the honey cakes to share. People who had a lot of food brought extra so that no one went hungry and everyone had enough. In fact, food wasn't the only thing the believers shared with each other. Some of the believers were well-to-do and had money and land, and they opened up their homes to people to meet and stay there. They even sold land and other things they owned so the money could be shared with all those who needed it. What do I need three extra robes for? You take this one. It'll keep you nice and warm. No one who was part of the early church went without food or shelter or clothing. Every day, the believers met together. They shared everything about their lives, the good and the bad. My pet lamb is sick. I'm sorry. That's really sad. They discovered that when they told each other the hard things and prayed about it together, they could find joy, even when things didn't go their way. And no matter what happened, the believers praised God together. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above, ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son. In everything they did, the believers in the early church worked together. Soon, people started to take notice. 
they saw that unlike the rest of the world, Jesus followers valued kids and women and old people and poor people. They saw the love the believers had for each other and for outsiders too. And because of this, God added more and more new believers to the church every single day. Right. So one admission I want to start off with making here is that these past few months have flown by in a flurry because it's been really busy. I don't know how it's been for your experience, but I know uh, for myself, for a number of the people who are just kind of, it's like we're, we're constantly feeling in a bit of a triage mode, always trying to pick up pieces and like, oh, that got missed and we missed this. And it's been flying by because now we're at the end of March, <laughs> spring break. I don't know if you noticed that somebody forgot to tell the trees as well. They aren't, like, they're just starting to bloom. They're a bit behind on the game. But one thing I noticed is we're right in the middle of this season called Lent right now. And uh, what that is, is for 40 days, counting up to Easter weekend when we celebrate and reflect on the sacrifice that Jesus made and rose from the grave, uh, we kind of take this posture of looking and like a countdown looking towards that. It's like Advent season for Christmas. But a part of that often involves some self-denial or abstaining from something, whether it's a habit or whether it's a practice or food or something like that. And you, you fast from it with the intention that normally what you do if you're if you're always scrolling Instagram, you, you cut that out of your life for a bit, and then you take that time to focus on Jesus in devotions, in the Word. And so I wonder, does anybody do that practice here? Does anybody kind of make a practice of counting down through Lent? It's, it's, it's not a thing we've talked about at this church too often, but I know for me, one of the things that I should have done is uh, tried to cut off Amazon. I like shopping a bit too much. I know I could hear my dad chuckle, but all the packages that come up and to the door, but he often is say, telling me to order stuff for him too, so it's not just me. I like shopping, and not just like, I don't like the thrill of buying stuff. I really like being thrifty, finding, you know, oh, here's this creative solution, and here's like a really good deal, and I found this used thing, and I can just buy this part, but it definitely becomes a bit of, you know, the rabbit trail goes down because, so we've got some really old cars that need a lot of TLC. So I'm like, hey, I need this car part, but then it could look good if it was in that color. And then I find these things that also work really well. And then the dice off the mirror, and suddenly I'm asking my wife if I could buy a new mountain bike. And these things, it just happens, right? But it takes up a lot of my time. But I do have one story about shopping. It's actually one of my worst shopping stories. Not me, really. It's a bad experience of shopping. So. Uh, you know, like, I think I'm pretty good at it. I'm thrifty. I can kind of go into most different types of stores for whatever it is. But one time, I found myself in need of some textiles, some fabrics. And so this is not my area of expertise. It's, it would be my wife's a little bit more. So she said, okay, you probably need, you know, some, some cloth that's like this for the project. And you could probably find it at this place, and you can head out. So I head downtown, and I go to find this place. I won't say it because this is not a good review of this store I went to, but... I went to this textile store, and man, I, like, Leslie prepped me with some terminology to use and stuff, and I went in, and I instantly was out of place. Like, I think I was wearing some of my old construction gear still, I was working on a project at the house, and, like, I didn't have the look, I didn't know the terms, I didn't know where to go. I may as well have been, like, a vegan in a butcher shop wearing, like, an out loud t-shirt. I was, I stuck out like a sore thumb, but what was worse was, like, I kind of was made to feel that way. So like I'm, I'm flipping through, trying to like find the stuff. I didn't know where to go. And you know, so the store clerk comes up and it, even more than just like, can I help you? Like, what are you looking for? Oh, um, I'm trying to find this thing. It's not there. Oh, okay. Could you help me find it with it? Well, you should know where it is. I, I've never been here before. Oh, okay. So you're, you're not one of us. You have no clue. I was just brushed off, right? I even got to the point where, like, you don't touch that stuff that way. Like, you'll ruin the nap and the velvet. And, like, so constantly I kind of found something I liked. But even to the point of, like, when I went to go pay, I was, 
I got reprimanded for like I tried doing the tap thing with my phone, right? Because it's you know it's like 2014 at this point, and but we do not do that here. So I I was cut out of that place. It was not a good like won't go back there again. But I knew I did not belong there. I was made to feel like I didn't belong there, and it didn't feel fair because I didn't have any experience. I I didn't know. I was eager and I was willing, and I tried to be open-minded. But man, it did not go over well. And I wonder if any of you have had an experience like that. Maybe not shopping, maybe with like a family gathering, or you went to maybe like an in-law sort of thing, or a place of work. Maybe it was an event you went to, and you just like you knew you weren't on the in crowd, right? Maybe you've been complicit in actually making somebody feel like they didn't belong in a situation. This can be something that's present in small ways in our life, constantly, like a shopping experience, right? Um, or something at work, but there's actually an even bigger narrative that's gone on throughout history, massively important to the text we're talking about this morning in Galatians. Uh, whether you believe it or not, or you're religious or not, there's this huge dialogue of if you're in or out that actually affects all of us. And this idea of if you are one of God's people, if you're chosen, or if you're accepted, if you're in with God, whatever name you give God in that point. And that's a story that the Jewish people in the Bible that uh, most of the, the Old Testament was talking about, a lot of the New Testament was talking to Jewish people who accepted Jesus Christ as the fulfillment of all of that, whether they were in or out. So let's dive into the text. We're in Galatians chapter 3. And last week, Chad started us off in Galatians chapter 3, did a fantastic job of outlining what the Apostle Paul, the author of this book, who was a man who was striving after trying to kill people who follow Jesus. Jesus came into his life, changed his whole life upside down radically, and set this tone where he's now talking to Christians in early Galatia, like uh, kind of East Mediterranean area, uh, modern-day Turkey. And, and so Paul had set up, the author of this had set up some churches there, and now he's writing letters back to kind of correct some issues that have been going on. And this is a part in the letter if you remember from last week, even too, where chapter 3, Galatians chapter 3, starts off heated. He calls them out. He calls them foolish, which actually had like implications of a death threat in there. This is a big deal. Like This is the all caps section of the email that Paul is sending that you need to pay attention to that has massive real like implications that should be a little bit offensive and a little bit challenging. Uh, it's easy to read this book 2,000 years later thinking it's just fine and easy going. You can memorize this stuff and put it in our back pocket. But... What we're actually going to pick up here, Galatians chapter 3, verse 7, right away he starts talking about this idea of being in or out of God's family, of God's people. So Galatians chapter 3, verse 7, Apostle Paul writes to the Galatians and to us, understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. It's a small, simple statement with a huge story. So Abraham, I thought we were talking about God, but now we're talking about Abraham. Abraham, let's get some backstory, let's get some context. So this comes from the very beginning, one of the first book in the Bible, Genesis, talking about the creation story and the origin of how God started to interact with people. Abraham was a uh, man in ancient Mesopotamia. He was a faithful man who God had reached out to. Abraham responded positively. He was listening to God. He was following his instructions, waiting for God, praying to God constantly. So God chose to work with him. And even got to this point after so many years and God made this promise to Abraham saying, you're, you're special and I'm going to bless you and through you I'm going to make a multitude of people and they're going to come to know me. You will be the father of a nation of my people. So through all of history then, you have, the, you have people who are trying to say, like, I am a descendant from Abraham ultimately. Like, I'm in this family. I am part of God's people. Abraham had two sons though. And that's even caused massive divides. So uh, Judaism says I was, I was uh, Abraham's second son, but with his first wife, Sarah, like I'm one of those kids, so I'm part of the real people. But then uh, Islam has said, no, no, his first son with the uh, other lady, um, that we're part of actually that bloodline, and that's the proper one. So now I have like, I'm in the family, no, I'm not. And then now, thousands and thousands of years later, where even to the churches in Galatia, you have all these Christians who are now saying, actually, but Jesus said, we're also part of this too. Like now we're in this family too. And, 
And that didn't feel right for people who had been tracking the lineage and living by the rules and saying, I'm in and, you know, we fought wars over this stuff. And you're saying you're just part of the family now? And Paul even reiterates, it says, like, all of those who have faith are children of Abraham. So what is going on here? This is the case for Paul's letter. He's trying to help the Christians in ancient Galatia, help us understand who is worthy of being part of this faith and how do you have that relationship with Jesus? How do you foster that? And specifically, he's targeting people who are actually, whether intentionally or unintentionally, keeping people from that opportunity, who are keeping people out. See, it felt very unfair that all of a sudden, people who have kept these rules and lived by this code and been part of this family and they memorized the genealogy for hundreds of generations, suddenly people are allowed to just say they're also part of that family as well and, like, and they can be equal with us. And Paul's saying yes, but they said no, no. And what started happening was they would impose on them like almost a rite of passage or rituals of saying like, okay, but you gotta do these things and you, you better do this and the, the, there's circumcision and there's these rules you gotta do and dress this way and don't do these things on this day, but do things on this day. And even still, you're kind of like not a proper class citizen. What just happened a few verses earlier in this letter to Galatians, it actually has some bigger implications now where Paul was calling out a man who was saying like he only eats with people who are actually on the inn, not the ones who are just like, oh, I, I'm kind of in, like I'm a Christian, I have faith, but like, no, no, so you got like the children of Abraham sit at this table, the cool kids dinner table, and everyone else, you know, you sit here, right? You're an outsider, different classes. And so Paul's like, this has got to stop. And he's talking about that. And what's wild is that continues to happen. It's a relatable emotion to feel like what is fair and what's unfair and what's justice and everything. There's an even darker thing of what's going on here, though. What Paul actually starts to imply as we go on in this passage is it's not just simply like whether you've got good manners or not and whether you can accept people well or not. He says, if you stand in the way unintentionally or intentionally keeping people from this family, keeping people from properly being part of this, it can affect your ability to be part of this family. You can disqualify yourself from being part of the family of God. So let's talk about this idea of fair now, because we, we have to understand this. This is important. See, we always think of fair in our lives as a justice issue. Like, something happened, I deserve something, they deserve something worse, right? You've got to have good to balance out the bad. When something happens bad against you, it has to happen equally to them, an eye for an eye. Like, that's what fair seems. If, if somebody gets the thing, like, you should get the thing as well. But there's a different idea that happens throughout the Bible. And we're going to actually go into the Gospel of Matthew, recording of, uh, of Jesus' actions and life and stories. Matthew chapter 20, verses 1 to 16, there's this parable. There's a story that Jesus, the words right out of Jesus' mouth, uh, he shared with us to kind of counter this idea of fair because we often miss the point of what's actually going on, especially when God is involved. So Jesus tells the story of a man who owned a vineyard, big, massive vineyard that was ready for a harvest. And so he needed to hire some workers for this vineyard to pick all the grapes. And so early in the morning, he found some workers and said, I'll pay you a full day's wage if you just work on the vineyard, harvest, pick the grapes. And I got a bunch of workers. They said, that sounds great. That's fair. That's good. And he realized partway through the day around noon, he needed some more workers. So he found a few more and said, hey, I need some more help. Uh, I'll pay you a full day's wage. If you start now, work till the evening. And they said, oh, that's great. Yeah, all right. So they kept going. But then even later on in the afternoon, he needed some more help. So he found a few more workers, the owner of the vineyard, and said, I, I need some more help. If you can help and, and work on the vineyard, I'll pay you a full day's wage. And that's great. So everyone was agreed. They worked the full day. Evening came. He started paying it out. And then everyone started thinking, this is a fair way. They worked a little bit less than, than I did. I worked for longer hours, right? And if you do fair, it should be like the by the hour thing. And they got the union involved and there's a strike and it didn't go well with anybody. That's not what actually happened. But the owner then interrupts. And so the idea here, this is the owner is representative of God saying, so you all agreed to this. You said it was fine. I paid you a full, a full day's wage. Nobody has gotten ripped off here. But are you jealous because I'm a generous man? I'm more generous than your greedy hearts wanting more than maybe you deserve? That hits hard. Because see, there's a big story that happens here where especially the people who were initially listening to this letter would have memorized the entire Old Testament, the Torah and all the stuff the prophets said and all the laws 
and they knew how to keep the laws, they knew how to follow all the rules to a T, or at least knew the rules they were supposed to follow and you know, how to hide the ones that they didn't follow. But they often missed the point of God actually at work and how God interacted with people when they did or didn't follow the rules. See, in that story, the vineyard owner being God is generous, not just strictly focused on, you know, did you do enough of the stuff and, and you only, your minimum wage and you've got, you know, some experience on this guy's farm. That's not the point. He's actually focused on love and generosity. So let's go back to Abraham because there's a very scandalous story that happens with Abraham. And maybe you've heard it, maybe you don't. The people who initially heard this letter, when they heard Abraham, they would have known. Like they knew the life, the genealogy, everything going on with Abraham, the readers of this letter. So to catch you up, there's this thing that happened with Abraham. So the promise that God made with Abraham when he said, I'm going to make a nation through you, God's people, we're going to work together, came with this caveat. It was a little bit strange because Abraham was an old guy. His wife was quite old. They're well past the age of having kids. So that first part, Abraham's like, really? Like, I'm not going to have kids. It hasn't worked up to this point, God, so why would it happen now? But that was God's promise, so Abraham said, okay, I trust you, which is the first part that was amazing about Abraham's faith, why he became the father of Israel, of this nation of God's people. But then the other part was, so after all this time, and Abraham does have a son with his wife, Sarah, God then tells him the thing, says, okay, now sacrifice him, which is alarming, right? Like that's, you know, there's not enough gasps happening here. I think maybe some of you have heard the story before, so you know the ending, but sacrifice your son, one, barbaric, but two, like, you just promised me that I'd have kids, so sacrifice him. In this setting, in ancient Mesopotamia, this wasn't actually as unheard of a thing. There was cults and other religions where childhood sacrifices happened regularly. This was a first for God to ask for it. This didn't happen with God's people. But Abraham faithfully is like, oh, okay, God, I don't know what you're doing, but sure. Let's, let's, let's try this thing. So he, Isaac, his son, a little bit older, so they go, they make an altar, he goes to sacrifice him. And even Isaac's like, Where, where's the sacrifice? And Abraham says faithfully, like, God, God's got it. Like, he'll provide something. I don't know what's going to happen here, son, but it's going to go. Tense moment, and he's about to sacrifice his son, and God then says, stop. This was a bit of a test, but it's also a story that I want to see. So you clearly trust me, Abraham. That's fantastic. Yes, your son Isaac here, I'm going to bless him through him. There's going to be multitudes of generations for sure. But then God provides a lamb. And this is symbolic of Jesus coming thousands of years later. And why this is such a massive thing is because in an era, in a world where there's these other deities and other powers that be and other ideas and philosophies that we constantly live by that require sacrifice of yourself, of your son, of your stuff. God now is saying there's a story where God provides the sacrifice for us. Amen? It's amazing. This is an amazing thing. This is exactly what all the readers would have heard when they heard children of Abraham. They knew they were part of this story. They would have remembered that they were part of this faith of following God. They would have known then that Jesus was also that sacrifice that God provided. See, we look at fair as this sense of greed of like what I deserve versus what they deserve. But grace is a different statement that God actually operates the world by, that we have a loving God who provides a sacrifice, Jesus Christ, and fulfills that promise to Abraham for all of us. And you can miss that point when you focus on the small details. The Apostle Paul, the author of Galatians, did this regularly. This is what the people in the churches that Paul was writing this aggressive all-caps letter to were doing is they missed that part. They remembered the genealogy, they knew the rules, they knew the thing, and you got to do the sacrifices and stuff. So Paul actually then goes on in Galatians chapter 3, verse 8. He says, Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles, non-Jewish people, non-religious people, at the point, by faith, and announce this very gospel in advance to Abraham. That's what was going on. So he reminds them of that story. All nations will be blessed through you. Just directly quotes Genesis 12 there, something that he would have memorized. But for a long time in Paul's life, he completely missed that point. So this was a humble admission for Paul, somebody who would have grown up as a religious scholar who knew everything. He was a know-it-all, and he persecuted people who didn't know it all. And he says, I missed this part because Scripture literally said it, and I had the things memorized, and I didn't get there. I, I, scripture foresaw this, and I missed that whole point. So then Paul continues on in verse 10, 
He's saying, here's what happens if you're going to continue to miss the point and you just want to keep going by the rules and the manners and the way you dress and everything. So verse 10, he says, for all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse, as it is written. This is quoting from Habakkuk. Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written by the book of the law. This is a huge theme in Galatians where the Apostle Paul, the author here, is saying, if you decide to just make your life about being a perfect person, go ahead and try that, but you've got to actually be a perfect person. And in fact, what's going to happen? That's not going to happen. He knows it. He calls it out. Not a single person is going to be able to be perfect and sinless. You're going to break the rules. You're going to like mess up and slip away, so you need something different. Otherwise, you're going to be under a curse. And here's a way I heard this curse described, because you can think, a curse, okay, what a weird term. Is there voodoo and like a stick doll? But actually, if you think about this curse as a fence that you start putting up all these signs on to keep people out of saying, like, if you're, you've got to follow all of these rules. And ironically, one of my things I've been doing here as a church, as I've gone around, there are signs everywhere that say, do this and put that thing over there. And like, all caps, like, never use this thing. We got signs everywhere. But there's a thing that happens with signs is on the back of the sign, it says the same thing to us. So we think we've created a fence that keeps us in and them out by following the rules Paul says here there's this curse, and the curse is that we're actually on the outside of the fence too when we try to put up these picket signs of rules. So this is a big deal. This is why Paul is trying to attack us. He says it's a huge thing. We think we deserve so much more, but then we don't follow through with the things. There's a sign. I thought it was so perfect. There's a big one, all caps, says, put away all tables immediately downstairs. And I get that because we have all these tables and we do so many events and there's tables that are out and it's a nightmare and then I got to pick it up and I'm out of shape and I don't like it, and I know a lot of you have back problems, so we don't like cleaning up tables. But then all of a sudden I notice that, like, you know, we leave tables out, and then I leave tables out, and I justify it because I think it's okay for me. But that sign suddenly doesn't apply, but it actually keeps us out, right? We're so bad at this. Culturally, we use terms in rallies and protests, like, my God-given rights, and I deserve, and we deserve. And the reality is what's happening here, Paul is saying, no, no, actually the Bible is saying, you deserve to be that sacrifice. You deserve to actually be forgotten about because you're not following things and you're not perfect. There's a curse. Good thing that God is a God of grace and love and has provided that sacrifice. So think more, think twice before you use statements like what I deserve and what is fair in this world. Daniel 9, a book in the Old Testament, a prophetic book, sums it up well. The, Daniel, the author, has this uh, lament this story because he kind of found himself in the same situation. He thought he was doing everything right and then has this encounter where God kind of pours out onto his life. So he says, we have sinned and we have done wrong. We have rebelled and turned away and we forget and we disobey and we act wickedly like every single adjective you can think about how we're not doing it right. He says, but you, God, have kept your promise. And that's continued. So Paul continues in Galatians 3, verse 11 quotes Habakkuk. Again, clearly no one who relies on the law is justified before God because the righteous will live by faith. And what that faith is, is what Abraham had, is trusting God. Even when stuff doesn't make sense, trusting that God will follow through on his promises. The beautiful thing about the gospel, this message that we talk about here as a church, is it's not about how many good things we can do. It's about trusting that God is better than us, that God follows through on his promises, and that God is present. So why is Paul so heated about all of this? I think we can see it right at the end of this section here in Galatians chapter 3, verse 14, where Paul goes ahead. And he says this thing, and we're going to break it apart a bit. So Galatians 3, 14, he, God, has redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles, non-religious people as well, through Jesus Christ, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. This is hugely important because there's a massive implication here. The order of that statement, that we might receive the Spirit, is implying that if we are not accepting the fact that there is no in and out, and that even though you can follow this lineage of who's in the family, and they didn't follow all the rules, but I followed more of the rules, it says if you start thinking that way and you prevent that blessing to be followed through to all nations for people everywhere to have this opportunity to come and trust in God, to accept Jesus Christ, that might disqualify you from being part of the family too. So Paul is saying this is a big deal and you have no clue that you keeping people out is keeping yourself out of this. 
I heard an article that described that every organization and group and community and place of work and families, and for this example, let's think of churches, church communities have an accent. And not an accent like my brother-in-law is from England, has a beautiful accent. We love him when he talks. It's been years. We still laugh at him. He's got some thick skin because whatever he says stuff. But an accent that's not quite as spoken, but the way we live and the way we do stuff and the way we, you know, have manners and we dress this way and we don't wear hats there, but we wear shoes, this kind of thing, and put the tables away, you unintentionally develop an accent for the way you communicate to other people. And it can become a pretty hard to understand accent, like the fabric store I was in had an accent, right? And I, I could tell, even though I wasn't, it was speaking the same language, we weren't speaking the same language at all. I did not belong there, and I didn't understand the taffeta versus the wovens and denim. I didn't have a clue, right? I didn't know what was going on. But we've got an accent, and it might be somewhere from, like, kind of backwoods, maybe hickish. It might be really pretentious and snobby and trying to, like, force a bit of a otherworldly sound to it. Not the way we speak, but the way we are. And the temptation of mine was to start thinking of all these different things and fences and signposts that I do in my life, the things that I've put up. But I think the more important thing here is we don't need a list of condemnation. We need a powerful focus instead on God's example of dropping that, being open and inclusive with this idea of Abraham's family and God's blessing through that. Because family is a really powerful example. See, one of our core values at our church here, Cedar Valley, is belong. We say with the question, how am I welcoming people into belonging? How am I welcoming people into this community? And far more than just a handshake, more of like, I care about you deeply as a person. I care about your highs and lows. I care about if you're moving somewhere or you're having a hard time or if your dog is sick. I care and I want you to care about me and I want this to be an inclusive community. The it's not ethnic-based, it's not religious-based, it's not geographically-based or physical or symbolic. It is real. It's a family kind of bond. And I think this is so cool that Paul uses his imagery and metaphor as family because throughout the Bible, many different biblical authors use different examples to understand what does a church community, what does a faith group, what do the people of God look like? Some authors have used kingdom, which has its application in place where there's battles and there's allegiance and there's trust and devotion. Some have used a hospital, a place of healing where you come to when you're sick and wounded, you need healing. Some have used a team or a body. We talked about the body of Christ at our annual general meeting. We all have a part to play. We're all valuable and important. But here Paul uses this imagery of family, Abraham's family. And I think it's beautiful because so much of the Bible talks about eating together at the table. And that's the thing. Some of you might have a bad experience with family. Some of you might not have, like, you know, your, not your blood family necessarily being your brothers or parents or sisters or cousins, but instead family in the sense, like, what I thought was so silly. But if you know the Fast and the Furious movies, family, like, that, that movie is actually about family and not cars exploding, but it's mostly cars exploding, and they say, like, the word family five times. Family, like, who you want to sit down at the dinner table with and have an amazing conversation. Family like who, you don't care what's gone on in their day or week. Well, you do really care, but there's nothing that would disqualify them from coming and eating a meal with you. And I think it's so beautiful that so much of the Bible and so much of what Jesus did was eat with people, eat with people he disagreed with, eat, ate with people who hated him. Because this was an amazing place to come together. It's what you do with family. Even in the Gospel of John, words right from Jesus when people were having this argument of, but I'm a child of Abraham, and Jesus said, you might be a descendant of Abraham, but you're not a child of Abraham. You get to be a child in this family by faith and by allegiance, and that's how you get that opportunity. So here's the way I want to end this with this story of what family looks like and how it applies to us and how we can actually kind of attack and focus on God and try to shut down that what's fair and who's in and who's out and understand what Paul is saying to all of us here. One last story, again, words from Jesus. This is found in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 15, where Jesus is sharing a parable, again, a story for us to understand, of what's called the prodigal gun, prodigal son, sorry. The prodigal son story. In a nutshell, Jesus tells a story of a man who had two sons. The younger son told his father one day 
that he would like his inheritance and to go off and go do all the stuff he wanted to do. Leave the family, get all his money, do the things. Hugely offensive. This was pretty much a slap in the face, the, middle, the youngest son pretty much giving the middle finger to the dad, saying, I don't care about you, you, may, you could die, I, for all I care, I'm going off to do my own thing, I want to head into the city. So this, the father, heartbroken clearly, obliges and provides his son with all of this, with the inheritance, and the son takes off. And doesn't give us a timeline, but a little while later, that youngest son had squandered everything he had. He blew it all, he was partying, he had prostitutes, and he's doing whatever, and just completely made a mess of himself. Hit rock bottom. Drugs and alcohol and everything you could think of. He came crawling back. He says he was covered in mud and dirt from pig pens. Couldn't get any lower than this. And here's where the beauty of a gracious and generous God comes in. The love of the father saw the son crawling back, disgusting and dirty and muddy, and the father goes running out with open arms to accept him. And the son says, how can you do this? I'm not worthy. And the father just says, I don't care. Let's throw a party for you. So he throws a party, and they celebrate the fact that his son has come home all night. And it's this beautiful story about God's acceptance, that no matter how far gone you are, it doesn't matter that God will accept you with open arms. There's a second part to this story that you can miss sometimes. It's the fact that there's another son. There was an older son who was so angry that his dad accepted the younger son back. He said, how can you do this? He has treated you so poorly. He's squandered everything that you're worth that you gave him, and you're throwing him a party? And the younger son or the older son wouldn't even go into the party that the father had thrown. So there's two things here. The first one is that there's an invitation into the family of God, into this faith, accepting the promise that God gave Abraham way back when, gives us now simply believing that God will follow through on his promise and that we believe that has been fulfilled through Jesus Christ. So you believe in him, you accept him and start that relationship. No matter how far gone you think you are, it's not enough to keep God away from having open arms to you. The second part is the older son in this story, the hyper-religious son who followed all the rules and did all the right things, was just as lost as the son who took off and got himself covered in pig poo and, and everything, and lost all his money, hit rock bottom, because he was stuck on the idea of fair and who deserves to be in and who deserves to be out and got stuck under this idea of, I'm putting up these rules and the father said, you've missed the point and now you're the one who's lost on the outside. Because the whole idea of the gospel, everything that's being communicated here in this passage, what we need to understand about our world is it's not about fair, it's about grace. I read a document about church policies and designs and how you operate a church really well. And this one author said, we actually have a policy where we say our church is not a fair church. We do things that seem unfair because for one person, we might bless them with a really nice gift card. The other one, we might have forgotten, but we said thank you. And if you operate by fair, you miss the point. They said, instead, they said, our policy is grace and love, the way that God loves us with grace. We're generous hearted. We, open, we openly accept and talk and reach people. And that's what we need to live by is not the sense of what's fair, but what's based on grace. So I'm going to pray and we're going, to, we're going to end there. God, thank you for your message that you have repeated to us so many times here in the Bible of family. God, if we were just living under a sense of what is fair, what we deserve, it would not go well for us. And I know that you give us those, those understandings, those communications, and those warnings, God, through the Apostle Paul here. You've given us the warning that we can't focus on what is fair and what we deserve because it won't go well for us. Our, our perspective is so small. God, thank you that instead you have provided this sense of grace and that you accept us. We, if we think we're doing so well, we probably have things that we don't have a clue on, God, but you still accept us. So challenge us to never be a barrier to somebody else who needs that acceptance, God, who needs to be in the family, who is seeking after Jesus, God. Highlight for us ways that we have unintentionally put up barriers. Highlight for us ways that we have kept people out and that we've had thinking of us and them. God, instead, just pour over us and let us reflect your love and your open arms in this world. God, I just pray you bless us as we go this week, God. Give us the strength to interact with our friends and family and neighbors with your love and your truth. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Thank you for joining us, everyone, this week. Uh, have a great week, and God bless. <laughs>